Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Just before we jump into the episode this week, I wanted to share a little bit about the Thrive community that I run. It's a place where many like-minded women go to connect and share their experience with getting and staying successfully sober. There are different sections like the main Thrive community feed where people post about things that are up and coming or about challenges they're facing and they get incredible support from other members of the group. It really is a special, special place to be right now. There are also sections to share your milestones because every win, even the really small ones, are a big thing to celebrate and we acknowledge that. There are five events, there are the weekly Zoom recordings, so you can go back and see all the weekly Zoom meetings and all the topics that have been covered in those meetings at your own leisure. There's a share sober tips section, and then there are group chats for the first 30 days, the first 100 days, the first year, and over a year. There's a knowledge hub as well, and in the knowledge hub you'll find a place for books and book recommendations. There's a section of how to survive the first 30 days, so if you come in completely brand new to getting sober, you can hit the ground running and find tools and information to get a structure set up for yourself from the outset. There's also my Thrive Sober program, there's a toolkit, there's understanding the brain science and a space to read and learn about all the topics under emotional sobriety, most of which have been written by myself. So come into Thrive. If you're thinking about it or you're lacking community, I would say just jump in and go for it and maybe we'll see you in there soon. And welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm going to be chatting to Chris, and he's in Stoke and Trent, and he's been sober for 18 months. Um, Chris, thank you so much for making time for me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you a bit. No worries. Awesome. So let's just jump straight in. Tell us a bit about who Chris is. Well, I'm 46. I'm from Stoke, obviously. Um, I'm a stonemason, so I make gravestones, which wasn't the career I was always going to do from school, but I just dropped onto it. And I've done that for like 24 years now. And it's it's interesting. You have to try and not read the inscriptions too much because it, it can get a bit depressing sometimes. But yeah, um, I live on my own world with my daughter, who's eight, Daisy. And you've got three, have you? I've got three girls. Yeah, yeah. I've got yeah, girl gang. <laughs> what? Well, one eight-year-old's enough. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. So yeah, uh, live at home with Daisy, and I get fifty percent of the time with the mother. That's all fine. Um, yeah, we're just pulling along in life and holidays together, and she's enjoying school and 
everything everything's good oh it's but, nice yeah but it it's took good some for a reason yeah I was <laughs> say, it took, took some getting to i'm sure we'll find out in your story so talk to us about um alcohol what was your relationship with alcohol like at, at the start and when i'm when I think of how old I was, I was probably 90% of the people on this podcast or on any podcast, that, you know, our age, similar age, started when they were 14, 13, 15. And I, and I looked at mine, I was 13. I was like, oh, my God, 13. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just parties, going around to people's houses when the parents weren't in. Everybody did the same. And it was really good and enjoyable. And I'm, I'm never going to say, you know, that was a bad time because we were experimenting and we were using it how it should be used, I think, just little bits to have fun. And everything was good. Everybody did it. It was it was the 90s. So mm. <laughs> early yeah. 90s, everybody was listening to, well, my group were listening to Nirvana. Yeah. Guns and Roses, drinking, trying to be cool, smoking. <laughs> yeah. And there was a lot, there was a lot of that, I feel yeah. like there was a lot of smoking. And, yeah. yeah. I, was the, I, was, I was in the smoking committee at college. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that was. Yeah. Um, so we they were our role models, there were people like that, like Slash, he was from Stoke. Um <laughs> Kurt Cobain and yeah. all that people growing up were really cool. And we were just, we we thought we were cool. We were in some bands and that was just it. We'd drink, have fun, go to college the next day or school. <laughs> yeah. And everything was good. And the memories are, are there. I can remember all that and hopefully I always will. And mm. Yeah. But drink, drink wasn't in charge then. <laughs> mm. I, I was in charge then. So, yeah. Even at 13, 14, 15, it was still, I could take it or leave it. Like, yeah. Probably go weeks on end, which, if it had stayed like that, it would have been okay. But as we know, it doesn't, does it? So, no. Yeah. It, it finds a way in. Um, but yeah, it was all good. And then different girlfriends. And we, then you start getting out for meals together and feeling grown up. And, I'll have a glass of wine or whatever, and a, you know, and a cocktail. And then holidays abroad, drink was always at the back. It was at the background, you know, always there. Um, but never really taking charge, like I say. Um, and then I got introduced to Ibiza. <laughs> so here's me into grunge, into all that scene. Yeah. And some of the girls who we hung around were like, oh, we're getting to Ibiza. Do you want to come? So I went for two weeks in 1999, I think it was. So wow. everything changed. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. It, it was, there was no rules there. There was no, mm. it, there was less rules than there is now. And everybody was drinking, everybody was taking drugs. Everybody was just, it was hedonistic time, really. Mm. And mm. It was amazing. And yeah. I got the bug. <laughs> I got the bug for it when I was there. Um, came back, and quit my job straight away to go and live there. <laughs> yeah. That's how much I enjoyed the that scene. Yeah. Uh, 
Do you know what? That, that, that was a common – that story, I, I, I remember – people in my earlier life that did similar things oh yeah it, it was Everyone a common thing i think mm-hmm. when you could be like a holiday rep or you know you could yeah. be doing what touting or you know abroad yeah. and having whole summers abroad mm-hmm. I, I remember going on those sorts of holidays with girlfriends in my early 20s and really being envious of yeah. the people that got to stay out there all summer just thinking wow that's so cool and there's so much freedom and you know but but with that comes such a big cost doesn't it you know the the culture I mean even those holidays back then anyway I went on an 18 to 30s holiday right it was carnage Um, (laughs) and you know you were encouraged every day to just get absolutely Mm shit-faced you know and that that was the culture in every resort in every big uh, town like they that abroad. Brought a lot to answer for. They've stopped yeah. them now, haven't they? I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, but I, I don't see them. Yeah, that that much. Put it this way: I don't think our daughters are ever going to say we're getting on an eighteen to thirties because I'd say no, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Horrifying, really, isn't it? But yeah, well, yeah that wasn't one thing. And when we went on holiday, there was people who were living there, and that gave us the idea. And we, were, I, I want to walk around giving out flyers all day, looking tanned and thin and... Totally. Yeah. So I did that. I quit my job, went there. But I couldn't get a job (laughs) giving out flyers. I couldn't get a job because I was always drinking when I was there. I was just always partying and just enjoying everything. And when it came to the rules of being at a certain place at a certain time, I was never there. Mm. <laughs> or if I was, I was there was no sleep from the night before. So I quickly found out that I wasn't going to work over there. I was going to get money from doing other things, as i.e., renting a car and using that as a taxi illegally, which mm. made a lot of money. But the car ended up getting written off. But um, and all the money went. But th- you know, we got by. That was a bit of a wheeler and a dealer over there, so to speak. Yeah. But drink. I could always afford drink, and they used to have these big two-liter bottles of San Miguel or liters, and they were like they were in pesetas then. That's how long ago yeah. it was. But, yeah, cheap as chips, could, probably. Yeah, and I could just drink them all day and mm. just walk around talking to people all day. Yeah. <laughs> that it, that was the life. I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's not real, is it? Uh, holidays are holidays for a reason. That You're young, you go for two weeks, you come back, and then you get on with your life. The ones that go and live there, so I, me started putting things off, coming back. I didn't want to come home. I was like, you know. Mm. My mum and dad wanted me to come home. <laughs> yeah. So I got back from there with no money. Nice tan, but no money. <laughs> no eyebrows because they got shaved off one night. Um, a shaved head, someone had like shaved my head when I was asleep. So, and I chipped my front tooth falling over. And I turned up at the door on a Sunday night to my mum and dad's. I'm back. <laughs> oh, wow. And she, my mum cried. Um, and I asked for five, a five or so I could go to the pub. Mm. Went to the pub. That was all you needed. Everyone was in there. I was like, 
the hero's return from Ibiza. Um, but then the work had to start with getting a job because I had no money. There was no party. So I got the job, which I do now. Right. So that's how long I've been doing it. But the party had stopped, but not inside me. The party was still raging. And I wanted every day to be the same as Ibiza. But you can't do that, can you? But you can drink every day. <laughs> you can have a little party in your head. You can have a party in the kitchen or sat watching YouTube. You can do whatever you want because you've got that drink. Yeah. And so it was probably after then that it started being more of an everyday thing. I'd have weekends off, some not weekends, some days off, but every weekend I'd be out. And we'd all be out. There was a big group of us, so it was brilliant still. There was no cracks appearing in, in the mental health, really, but that was later on in, in the future to come, so. Yeah. But, yeah, I carried on working, drinking, partying. Well, into, well I'm, th- I'm probably 30s, 35 now, you know, when I'm talking about. Mm. And then I was in a relationship where we decided to move in together. So we moved in together. She was my best friend at the time, so we made a decision to move in. But it was the party house. It became everyone who was still partying came to ours and it kept. But when they'd gone home, you know, midweek, I was still drinking a lot. My partner liked to drink, so she would. But the stress of living together in your first house together, I'd never really had stress when I was drinking. So... I think that's where it started to change a bit. Mm. Just the stress of living in a house, bills, cleaning things, coming in from work, and yeah. your mum hasn't done everything. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and I don't think it mixed very well, to be fair. That's when. I think, looking back, probably that's when this started, it started getting pretty bad. Um, but I'd never said anything. No one ever did. No, no, none of her mates ever said anything to one another. It'd be like that scene in Barbie at the beginning when she's dancing and then she says, does everybody think of dying? And the music stops. <laughs> if anyone would have said, you know, I think I've got a problem. Have we got Whoa. a problem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Just keep dancing. Just, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, it was quite... Quite heavy drinking, I'd say a bottle of wine and some cans a night, which was a lot for, I was 28, 30, 30, something like that, Mm. smoking Mm. as well. Um, But like I say, with no problem there and everybody doing it, I'm not not gonna cut down and there there wasn't the information we've got now or the adverts on TV or any social media, so you just carried on and on and on. And then it, we decided to have a baby. And I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to become a man now. I'm, I'm a father. I'll cut down. I didn't. <laughs> Not at all. It was just another stress added in. Um, not that my daughter's stressed, but at the time, it's like, I'm going to drink to get through this. I've had no sleep, but I've drank all day of it again. Yeah. Um, so 
even even having a baby didn't save me, you know. Nothing was going to save me. Moderation wasn't coming anytime soon. That wasn't going to save me. No one was, even the doctors weren't going to save me if I went to the doctors, which I, I ended up going to the doctors for tablets. And I thought, I'll mention how much I drink. And I halved and halved and halved again, the amount, <laughs> and yeah. sold them. And they were like, you're fine, just have these tablets. And okay, fair enough. Um, But yeah, we were arguing quite a lot. And I'd wake up not knowing what the arguments were for and then test the mood to say, are we okay? Mm. And one of the replies was, well, we'll have to be, won't we? And things like that. And, and instead of me saying, right, let's sort this out, I'd go, right, open a can and drink. Mm. Um, so instead of sorting things out, I just let things get worse. And they did until 2019, um, November. I'd, I'd started hiding the amount I was drinking before that, years before that. Like the odds can be extra can before someone got in the house or a quick neck of a spirit before anyone got in. Just little things like that which don't seem so bad, do they? At the time, you just think, yeah. oh, it's. You're a bit crafty. Um, Dutch courage, bit of Dutch courage. That's... Oh, yeah. But then, how can you have a normal conversation with anyone about anything that, you know, when you're living with someone, if you're already three or four drinks in, you know yourself now that that's quite a lot to have. Yeah. When these issues you've got to be dealing with. Yeah. So, in the November, my partner said, are we going to talk about the elephant in the room? I was like, why? What's that? <laughs> I knew exactly what the elephant in the room. And she was saying, we're not happy. What are we going to do? And I just flared up, bottle of pop, you know, went crazy and drank and went, right, I'm not going to deal with this. <laughs> so we, we tried counselling for a little bit, but it wasn't going to work. And then if you remember... What came after November 2019 was COVID. Mm. <laughs> um, so that was all running in the background. This big, this big event's going to happen. It's coming towards us. It's getting closer. It's in Italy. It's it, you know, it was awful. Really, yeah. it was awful. But I was drinking throughout that, leading up to it, and then I remember looking at Daisy one day, and she was on a bike in the in the garden. And I thought, she's got dreams of one day being like a princess with a prince, you know, meeting a, a, a prince charming or whatever, you know, in her head and having the perfect relationship. And I thought, and that's what my partner was when she was a little girl who wanted to be happy with someone. And she's not happy with me, so I'm not going to stand in a way. So I thought, yeah, I'm not going to put up a fight anymore. So I said, okay, we'll move out. I'll move out. I won't, you know, let's do this. That was the day before Boris Johnson said, you're on lockdown. Remember the, the news? Yeah. Last. yeah. And we were watching it on the TV together and my partner was like, oh, she was gutted. Because But I wasn't, I was like, yes. 
I've got a little bit of time now. Uh, we didn't know how many weeks we'd all be in lockdown, did we? We didn't know what was going on. But I knew that that was like the, the last bit of time I had in this family environment with my daughter, my partner, in the house that yeah. we'd built together. And so I loved lockdown. It was the party for Ibiza. It yeah. was back <laughs> because I was off work. I was homeschooling, but it didn't matter because the sun was shining. I was drinking yes. all day. Yeah. And it was like my sort of swan song. So I wanted to do good by Daisy. So I was brilliant. <laughs> I, I, I'm not doing me on Trumpy, but I just dived into everything. The homeschooling was brilliant. We did videos. We did a little presentation for a teacher. It was just, you know, all the science experiments. We did Joe Wicks every morning and... I had a structure to the day, and then each day I'd watch the numbers on the, the briefing, and they'd say the numbers today are so many thousand million, and they were always going up and up and up, and they'd say, and we're on lockdown for another so long, and I'd be like, yes. let's." Drink. I'd already be drinking by the three o'clock briefing anyway. So I never wanted the numbers to come down because I knew once the numbers come down, lockdown would be over and then I'd be on my own yeah and that's so selfish thinking I don't want the numbers to go I want to be in lockdown forever but that's the way alcohol makes you think mm. um and it happened and I moved out it, there was no big force because it was you know we'd had all them weeks to prepare but then I was on my own in a rented house it was semi-lockdown time, July, August, so it was all still a bit weird for a while, wasn't it? And it, alcohol then, when it had me to itself, it was a completely different ball game because there was no one to say, oh, do you think you've had enough? Or, yeah. And there was no one to talk to, really, so I'd just be there drinking. And when you're drinking on your own, you get angry, and um, yeah, it, it was totally different then. But up until that point, the problem had been there. It just no one had ever said anything about it. And mm. I knew it was there towards the end, but didn't really know what to do. Yeah. Didn't, didn't want to stop. Mm. It was like I was just on some sort of death wish, but still had this family life. But then once the family life, because I knew it got taken away. Yeah. And it was just me. And... Yeah, and I think with your story as well, there is that pattern of right, running away from maybe what's going on inside or you know, yeah. whatever discomfort there was. Yeah. You, um, yeah, and, and I think that's quite... That's probably quite true for a lot of us, to be honest, in, in, in you know, varying degrees, some more than others maybe. But there is that sort of shushing yeah. of that in, internal voice, feeling, regret, mm -hmm. disappointment, whatever the things are. Yeah. And over time, the desire to look just diminishes because I think it gets so big and that's probably what happened in this period for you suddenly when you're on your own you know that something's not quite right you, you be, but not 
you just you spend up until that point what are you now like at this period of your life what are what are you late 30s around covid I'm 46 now so you're 46 now yeah so it would have been like late 30s early 40 early 40s oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's kind of you know it's kind of that's at least two decades of just drinking and avoiding the problem really isn't it yeah and but at the start there didn't seem a problem because everybody was doing it and yeah that's right the late 90s you'd you'd watch things like the word on tv you'd watch all things like that and they'd be drunk on that program yeah and just everybody people would laugh the catchphrase in the 90s was mad for it. And everybody was mad for it. There wasn't <laughs> yeah. like now you've got pockets of people that don't drink. I didn't know a single person that didn't drink. Yeah, honestly. same. Yeah, same. Well, we're... Anyone we, age or adults. Yeah, we, we're exactly the same age. So I, I, I was 46 uh, in December. So right. I have lived through, you know, you were probably, you know, you were listening to one set of music, but I was over here into oasis and some of the pop brit pop stuff in it but it was all it was carnage really it was Mm -hmm. carnage and i um you know my kind of role models female role models at that time the people that were on telly were people like zoe ball and yeah all sorts of people like that that were you know they were loud and proud and drinking hard drinking the boys under the table that was course, yeah. you know and, and that was something drinking someone under the table was like the best compliment you could get yeah the girls i used to hang around or, or i still do you know at the time they could go out and match the boys did have like 12 pints of snake bite and black yeah snake bite and black oh my god <laughs> i've had a few of those yeah in that era as well yeah we, we were in a, in a student union and they ran out of the the black so we'd all go to the shop buy more black currants and cur- so you can carry on making the drinks yeah and i don't know what it is about the culture of those sorts of pubs and bars and especially ones in and around college time if they for some reason you'd get to know the owners you'd be behind the bar you'd be pouring your own drinks you'd be having lock-ins and it, it, it was just i don't know i don't feel like maybe in more rural areas that sort of thing still happens but you just don't have a lot of that culture now. No. I'm sure it exists a bit, but it was much more prevalent. I used to walk into pubs at 15, 16, 17. The people behind the bar, they all knew I was underage. No one gave a shit. No, no. Nobody questioned it, you mm. know? Um, so talk to me about what happened when you got – you were in your own place. Obviously, you are co-parenting – um just come through you know go well we're going through covid you know that there's an issue what made you stop what happened we've all had red flags loads haven't we but there isn't one rock bottom there isn't one red flag it was just a lot of different things that were every now and again you'd think "Mm, that was a close shave because drinking and driving was a big thing for me I think I dr- drunk and drove every single day um, be it like over the limit in the morning or just coming back home from work and I couldn't even wait till I'd get into the house some days so I'd go to the shop buy all the ciders and whatnot for the weekend and open one on the way home in the car 
I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't wait. It was just I needed that alcohol inside of me because I didn't know how to cope without. It was getting to that stage. Yeah. Um, and I'd see people at the shop that I'd been queuing for taxis. You know, when people don't drive, they have a t- and I used to think, that might be me one day because I'll get caught drinking and driving and I won't be able to drive, so I'll have to queue for it. Never thinking, plus I wouldn't be able to take my daughter to school, things like that. And but the stupid things you do, I thought, instead of cutting down, I'll stop drinking and drive because that was making me feel grim. So how do I stop? I know. I'll get a picture of me and my daughter and put it in the visor of my car so that every time I've had a drink, I won't get in. So I'd get in. And all I did was flip the visor up and it was forgotten about. <laughs> and I'd carry on. But that was always a little niggle somewhere deep, really deep at the back of my mind, things like that. Um, but I was just going at a pace. I was one of the lads that were always like, oh, how many have you had last night? What have you done? You know, and it's, it's that badge of honour. <laughs> Even a hangover is like, oh. Yeah. So it, I was I was on a death wish, I think, because th- there's no other way. Looking at it now, I must have been because I was drink, drinking and driving. I was drinking every day. I wasn't enjoying it. I was just drinking for self, self-harm, really, in a way, if you can look at it like mm-hmm. that, because I'd just given up on enjoying anything. I wasn't even enjoying the alcohol, so um, so yeah. The, what led me to stopping was I'd been ill, really ill, as in throwing up, just a bad stomach, and but I was still trying to drink. I thought, oh, I'm okay, I can drink, and I'd go to work, and then I'd throw up at work, and my stomach was just in really bad pain. But I'd go home from work drink I'd be like oh I'm okay but then throw up again I thought this isn't right mm-hmm. so it was when I was at work I just I was on the floor doubled up and someone come into the room where I was and they said wait what's up I said I'm not really well they said you better go home so I went home rang the doctors and I always remember it was a red hot day so 22 years ago it was red hot over summer and I was in the toilet throwing up and I could hear People outside play, kids playing, and everyone. And I was like, "What am I doing? Why? Why am I? You know, what is this?" And I was worried. And it was the first time my health. Had, so I didn't know it was from drink or anything, but my health really was bad. Went to the doctors. Told him where, and he lay me down on the bed, and he was pressing different bits. So when you're lying down at the doctors, you're so vulnerable, and you, you know, it's a place. You don't want to be lying on that bed with your top up. And uh, he just looked at me and said, how much do you drink? And before I could answer that, how much? And he looked me directly in the eyes. And for the first time ever, I thought, I'm just going to tell him the truth. I'm not going to half it, half, half, half. So I just said the amount. And when I told him, he just pulled the, the top down on me. Didn't do it. He said, okay. I went, what, what's that mean? <laughs> I sat down. I said, do you think it could be the alcohol? And he said, probably. And I was like, okay, what shall I do then? <laughs> and he said, well, I'll take these tablets for the, 
the stomach pain. And he, he didn't say stop drinking. He said, maybe if you try lower alcohol alternatives, said Morrison's do some cider, what's 0.5? But I was like, what? What's the point in doing that? Yeah. Um, but all the way home, I thought, right, I'm going to make these tablets work, these antibiotics. So if I do it properly, you're not supposed to drink. Mm. All my life I've drank an antibiotics. So yeah. yeah. I thought, right, I'll do something. But how am I going to stop drinking? So I've got Instagram. And whenever I'm going somewhere or doing something, I always put in a hashtag. So say if I was going to Grand Canaria, but so yeah. I could research that place. So I just thought I'll put in hashtag sober UK and see what comes up. And I was like, huh. And interesting. Okay. And then these different accounts. But then I thought, right, well, podcasts, I'll listen to that because I was into different podcasts for music and different things. And then I stumbled on one, which was Janie Lee Grace and Craig Beck. And I thought, right, okay, I'll listen to these. And Craig Beck, from one episode, and it was like 13 minutes long of it, something changed. What he, it was just what he said, something changed the mindset in me. And I was like, oh, my God. It was as if I lied. Come on. And I know everybody says that. But wow. And what he said was, uh, if... At the end of your life, basically, if you can look back on your life, then it's been 70% of your life has been numbed out or you've lived your life to the full. And, you know, what would you do? If I could give you the choice now of giving you a... That was it. He said a red pill or a blue pill. One of them is numbing everything out and one of them is living. And I thought, I don't want numb out anymore. And it was just from that. And so that was it then. I thought, right got these two weeks and I didn't say anything to anyone I just took the tablets because I had a weekend trip to Ibiza books after the two weeks was up yeah it was just I was just there for 48 hours and I thought right I'll do two weeks off go to Ibiza and we'll see what happens um so I was listening to podcasts every day and I know you've done that you were the same it was just I was obsessed I was hyper, hyper focused massively yeah. on it. Loved it. I'd go asleep listening to them. And and I think, and that's when I found yours as well, because I just wanted as many as I could then. I was like, right. You, you were pretty newish then as well, like starting the podcast. So it was like I could keep yeah. up um, at the very start. And uh, I'd go asleep with them. And I swear to God, it was like being hypnotized because. Yeah. I was just, every waking hour that I could, I'd, I'd listen, sometimes if I didn't quite hear what someone was saying, I'd go back and listen to that bit again, and then sometimes I'd go back and listen to them twice and things like that. Oh, Brilliant. But then I had this holiday planned this weekend away, so I, I thought, right, okay, we'll go to the, we'll go to Ibiza and see what happens. And of course, got there and drank. <laughs> the, the tablets had done the job. I went there and drank. But it was obvious while I was there, I, I had a problem because I was the most drunk there. <laughs> yeah. I remember walking into a, a, like a beach club thing in the morning. I'd been out the night before. Walked into this beach club. And it was like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning and everybody's sunbathing. Everybody looked beautiful. The music was on. And 
I thought, yeah. First thing I did was order a shot and then just carried on from there. Ended up being pushed on a, I was on a sunbed and I got pushed into the shade because I just passed out and everyone was concerned about me. And uh, so when I came, I came back from there and on the flight home, I had this can of cider from the, on the plane and I was drinking this can. I remember getting off the plane with the empty can and just chucking it in the bin before going into the passport control. And that was the last drink. And I sort of knew, but I didn't know at the time because I just couldn't wait to get home and put on the podcasts. And then when I got home, Interesting. I put the podcasts on and I was that was it. And I, But I already knew, I think, from listening to him that, you know, I was going to give up. It was just I needed this little weekend away. 48 mm. hours up there, and I drank for 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. And then came home, and then that was it. You got that, you would have got that reminder for sure in that, in that two days of what you God. didn't miss anymore oh yeah yeah i didn't miss yeah yeah, yeah it's so fascinating so yeah the podcasts were there the podcasts really replaced the alcohol in a way yeah. because instead of drinking all day <laughs> i was listening to podcasts all day same it, um, it was exactly the same for me i i couldn't even hang washing outside yeah without the podcast in my ears like if i had 10 minutes mm. of free time I just programmed myself. Yeah. Or getting headphones on. Yeah. And I still listen now. I can probably, you know, but I, I do, not as many, but they're still there. And yeah. when I can feel myself feeling a bit low or just, a, you know, you can get in a bit of a rut sometimes. And I just mm-hmm. put on a podcast and I'm like, yes. And it's, uh, it's I'm inspired by it. Some, one little bit what someone says can inspire me. It can be yeah. that, can't it? Just a little snippet sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you just hear something, don't you, that you connect with, something that just resonates. Mm. And it can completely shift almost yeah. a lifetime's worth of views. Yeah. Even yeah. that one sentence. I've had so many of those moments too where I've just listened to something or read something and it's been like light bulb moment, bang. Yeah. Wow, what a feeling. Yeah. And they keep coming, they keep coming, and that's the good thing. They do. I wonder whether you've heard of a lady called Bronnie Ware. No. Um, yeah, you might like her. She is um, a woman that worked in palliative, pa- palliative care. <laughs> And yeah, I don't know. How, yeah, I, can't, I can't say that word properly. Pa- palliative care, so kind of end of life care. She's an Australian woman. She's got a book called Regrets of the Dying, and she talks about the. And the reason why I mentioned this is because of what you were saying about that podcast that you heard. That it was that sort of like on your deathbed, looking back over your yeah, life, yeah. kind of thing. This is why I think you'll probably quite like this. She's done many podcasts as well. She's she's been on a few podcasts recently, yeah. um, and she says the five regrets that people have this you know usually they're the sort of same five she's categorized them into five and it's um number one i wish i'd had the courage to live a life true to myself not the life others expected of me Uh number two i wish i hadn't worked so hard 
Yeah. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Um, and obviously there's loads more detail in the actual book. Oh, no, but that's, that's sort of what I think being sober and being on Instagram and seeing all these different quotes and memes and different you can live them out now. Yeah. <laughs> you can feel that. Whereas before, I, I wouldn't look at a quote or think anything of it if it didn't involve getting smashed. Yeah. <laughs> now I see these quotes and I can live by them. You know, if someone says something that sticks out, I think, yeah, I can implement that. And I, and I am doing. Yeah. Yeah. Getting sober really opens up that door, I think, to not just like shifting perspective, in perspective but it just helps you to wake up in your mm. life and it's like waking up and smelling the roses isn't it you know and you could just whatever the work is that you need to do which is different for everybody and be interesting yeah. to talk a bit about that with you in a moment as well what you've found in your 18 months you know what you know, if you have found what you might have been running away from and, you know, that sort of thing, we'll, we'll come on to that. But it just gives you that ability to to not, to stop being on autopilot. Yeah. With this habit, this culture, this just this thing that, you know, this thing that we do, this drinking that we do, that was so heavily ingrained in our lives not just because of the timing, but just, just, I mean, to be honest, even today, even though it, it is probably not as bad as it was mm. back in the nineties or the eighties or earlier than that, the, the conditioning, the social conditioning and the expectation and the culture around alcohol is still so heavily clouding, suffocating us all. It's still yeah. so present, you know, and it's like, be so it'd be lovely to see real big shifts in that which might happen in our lifetime wouldn't that be amazing if that did happen well, yeah and if it does i think us this generation of us now you know will be the trailblazers because yeah i know that alcoholics anonymous has always been around things like that but instagram now sobergram <laughs> because i, I was I was a bit disillusioned with Instagram and social media up until I got sober. And I thought it's the perfect tool because Instagram's always about looking for the next hits and seeing someone who's doing something. Now, if, if you're inspired on there yeah. for something good, surely that's yeah. a good way of using it. Not to see friends who you haven't spoken to for ages go on holiday mm. <laughs> and like it in case they see in Tesco and say, why didn't you like my post? <laughs> yeah. Well, now when I see someone on holiday on my sober account, I'm just, and because I know they're sober, I'm like, yes, and they're posting pictures. And I don't even know them, but I'm more interested in their holiday than someone I've known for 20 years. It's funny that, is isn't it? Insane. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, I hope that we can be the first of the generation of our generation to make a difference. And I think yeah. we will. Well, yeah, something, so. something is changing. We can sense that, can't we? Something I definitely changing. agree. I definitely agree. And I think it's it's expanding 
you know, so yeah. um, is expanding. It's growing all the time. Every single day, there are hundreds of people setting up sober accounts, contacting yeah. people, uh, or contacting. You know, I get messages from people saying, oh, "I, I'm going to give it a go," or "I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in early, early days or day one or whatever." And um, I feel like there's no real decline in that. You know, it just uh-huh. it does keep growing. So that that is really, really positive and really reassuring. Um, so talk about your the beginning bit for you. Obviously, you were consuming all this new information. It became a big focus, maybe even a bit of a passion to just keep learning yeah. this stuff. What sorts of things did come up for you? in that early part of your journey that you kind of had to work through? The first, the first, well, I was excited. I was excited at, at the start. It was a new life. I'd, you know, I'd found sober Instagram. All these people who were amazing and doing all these different things. And I had a lot of things booked in the first 100 days, which I had a holiday booked. I had a festival booked a cricket match to go and watch England play. All things that really, if 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 you were looking at going sober, <laughs> you'd say, I'll do it after that. But it's best to just do it, isn't it? So yeah. within the first days, I went to all, all these different events. But I was, I was riding this wave still. I was all excited. And I was probably irritating to some of my friends who, who hadn't stopped drinking. And I'd send them pictures of like, me sober after if it was on 14 days and 50 and I remember getting to 50 days and I was all excited and did a big post and uh, it it was good and then you find all these different alcohol free drinks and some you don't like some you it's all exciting finding all them and going into a bar and feeling proud that you don't drink and saying can I get the alcohol free one yeah, <laughs> yeah. um just, I really en- embraced everything to do with it. And I enjoyed the first 100 days. I'll, I'll always look back on them 100 days and getting to, to 100 days and thinking, yeah, that was, I've carried that excitement on. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, there's some days where it's it's, it's a bit boring and <laughs> things like that. But I think that comes with being single as well, because... You haven't got that other person. Well, when my daughter's not here and I come home from work sometimes, it would have been easy. That's what I used to do. I'd go to the fridge, have a can. That'd be the companionship, the alcohol, mm. whereas now I don't. But you'll go on Instagram, you'll look and someone's inspiring or you can just have a chat with someone you don't know. Yeah. Um, but you do know in a way because you're both in this little club, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, and that's... That keeps you going. That yeah. keeps you going. But then the first hundred days, nothing's going to stop me. Like I didn't have any. I wasn't close. To, I wasn't tempted. And even my friends were saying, "Are you? You know, are you?" Are you? Oh, one friend said to me, "Can you just have one shot?" I went, "No, no, no. <laughs> it doesn't work like that." So like, yeah. well, can you have a day where you drink and then go back to? It? I was like, "Well, you, some people could, but not me. I'm, yeah. I'm done now." That's it. And I think when when they realised some of my drinking buddy friends, who were best friends, but they've always been drinking, I was, you know, their drinking partner. When they realised that was it, it's like, oh. And then 
it was a bit it was a bit tinged with sadness really yeah um, and i i remember one christmas i went out on christmas eve got invited out christmas eve my first sober christmas and i went out at six o'clock so 6 p.m i'm out everybody's there well oiled by this time i walked in and uh, i was still a bit nervous because i'd only been sober like a few months Heineken Zero, please. And I walked over, try and cover it up a bit, <laughs> sat down. And I just felt out of place. I couldn't get him. Everyone was talking over one another because they were all really it was loud in there. And everyone's laughing. And there's a photo, someone took a group photo, and I'm sat on the photo in the end. And I look like I'm with a different group. I'm yeah. just so out of the conversation and everything. And I turned to my best friend. <laughs> he, he, he's always been supportive. And I said, that's it, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm done. Like, he went, it's half past six. <laughs> I'd been there half an hour. I was like, I'm done. And I drove home that night thinking, oh, my God. It's, this is how it's going to be, you know, not being myself. But that changed. <laughs> Which it does. It's just that little event was a big moment, I think. Mm. Yeah, and that, I was still excited, but it was it was a bit of a wake up call, really. Mm. That everything's not as rosy as you see them, you know. Riding the wave to the first hundred days. Yeah, because I'll, I'll always say a hundred days is a, is a big amount of time. You know, the three. Yeah, definitely. Days. Because a lot of people have always put together so many days, like twenty, thirty. I'd never done that, but I know a lot of people have. But then, when you get to a hundred. And you know the next big milestone after 100 is probably a year or if you do six months. But yeah, so. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really, really big chunk of time. Um, how did you navigate that then socially, that social thing? Because I think that's a big, that's a very big part of people's fear isn't it and anxiety going into this journey what did you do to make that feel easier for yourself <laughs> went to bed early <laughs> stuck on a podcast <laughs> um yeah so I'd, I'd go home get into bed oh and the thing was i was on group chats with different lads and they're like oh where's bowie of minute where's bowie um Always asleep, but I'd be asleep. So in the morning, I'd wake up to all these messages saying, oh, he's asleep now, he doesn't drink and all this. And yeah. I just thought, I'm not going to leave the group. Uh, but I just didn't communicate as much. But I navigated it just by staying true to myself because I knew what I was doing was right. And all these people I was listening to on podcasts were saying the same thing. Everybody's going through it at some points, at different points, at different things at different points as well. So when people would say, oh, it just keeps getting better, I'm like, really? But now I know it keeps getting better. <laughs> yeah. And then when they say, oh, you'll have to deal with some past trauma at some point, I'm like, will I? And I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> yep, that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. So everything you listen to comes true. Yeah. Uh, and so what is that? I mean, if you don't mind as diving into that a bit, what is that kind of inner work that you're feeling your way through at the moment? At the moment, yeah. So it, it is the why I drank that much. Um, 
And I do think it was, like you say, the culture, but then no one, uh, only a few of us had problems. Some some friends have carried on and done all right, but... Yeah. I just think maybe you probably got it right. They're, they're running away. I ran away to Ibiza. Mm. I did that twice. I came back, got another job, but then ran away from that and mm. ran off to Ibiza. But some people had run off to Bali or Thailand and carry mm. on, whereas I kept coming back. Um, but, yeah, I suppose the the seriousness of things, of life in general, that's because I've always wanted the party. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds so sad that I've always wanted to party, but I think being in that hedonistic lifestyle for so long, it, it was so hard to adjust to a normal job and yeah. paying a mortgage and all the boring stuff. And But I'm dealing with it now. A lot of people get to this point of uh, sobriety or even sooner and start seeing therapists and used to think that was a big American thing and, but now I think I think in five, ten years time it'll just be the norm Yeah, yeah. do you know one thing that keeps popping up on the podcast I listen to because I've moved away personally from the hyper focus on sobriety podcasts um, I get my feel having my own show, you know, that's lovely for me. But I've moved into um, the, the everything to do with neuroplasticity and the way the brain works and trauma and nervous system and just learning everything I can about all that stuff, which I find so fascinating. And it is also, it's healing work for me, but learning and developing that um those sorts of messages they do filter out and then help my community or you know or maybe on these sorts of podcasts but I, so i find them super fascinating and there's someone that um that comes up a lot for me and i was thinking that you probably would really like to listen to some of his podcasts but i don't know if you've heard of someone called peter crone yeah. Peter Crone, he, if you search him in your podcast app afterwards, he's done lots of um, interviews on other big podcast shows. He is absolutely fascinating. And uh, yeah, I'd just be interested, like after the show, or you go away, listen to him, let me know what you think yeah. to some of well, his podcasts. Hypnotized by. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just that he talks about. It's it's like with your story, what I think is so refreshing about you, you're you're so brutally honest with what you've been through and where you've come from and what you've faced, almost bordering on self-critical, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, um, you know, for example, when you said, oh, I, I, it's probably really stupid that I wanted to run away from things. I think a lot of people feel like that, actually. I don't think that's stupid at all. I think that's probably really, really normal. Um, and it's just, he explains, it's hard to, I don't know how to summarize it, but he just explains why we think and feel a certain way in a really, really clear, easy to digest way. And he's super inspirational. And you will have many moments of many light bulb moments when you're listening to him. He will just make total sense. And I just think that when yeah. you get about 18 months in or you get however you know whatever you get you you start to explore these other things like you just 
said, you know, maybe like therapy or just healing podcasts or just thinking about things a different way. He's a brilliant person, I think, for you to listen to now. So you must let me know (laughs) what you think. Because I wasn't expecting this bit of sobriety. I'd I'd heard about it, like I say, but all all of a sudden it hit me. And I was like, oh, God. (laughs) Now I can deal with things like that. I can deal with anything. I I deal with drinking. I can can cope with this. Yeah. And so much of it is about that, isn't it? Because when you've been running away from yourself or from, uh, you know, grown-up life or whatever it is, um, you and you drink, that is your coping mechanism. So when you stop drinking, you don't actually have any coping mechanisms to cope with the big stuff in life. Um, And I think that learning how to build those coping mechanisms from scratch Mm-hmm. which is a lot of trial and error and it takes yeah. quite a bit of time i i found personally anyway i feel like i've got a lot more in my toolbox now but that's taken me a long time and i'm still i'm still missing some tools that i'm hoping to build you know it's a, i think it's just a, an ongoing process to be honest that's what makes it exciting it's just kind we're of we're always learning aren't we now we're always learning more and more yeah about and, like if, if we did another interview in five years time we both have different things 100% 100% yeah I always say that as well I feel like sobriety is a bit of a game you're you're on a level you start on like level one and there's Mm. just infinite levels you just keep going and going and going and you know for me five years in almost I feel so differently from year three in year five. It's crazy. Yeah. How can that even be possible? And my interests have shifted slightly and the things that I'm learning or, yeah, it just, it just keeps evolving. And I feel like, I felt like I was like, you know, knowledgeable a year, year and a half in, you know, doing really well. Two years in, I felt quite strong. Three years in, I felt like, I was really, you know, was able to mentor people properly. But even now, five years in, I know things that I didn't know in year three, even though I felt like I spent all my waking free time on this stuff, learning about this stuff and about and, and sobriety and helping other people. It, it just shows you that you just can keep expanding and growing and getting better and feeling better the further in you go. So that's what I think is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, it it just gets better and better. That's, I think, what people want. And all this just from taking away one thing. I know, it's crazy, right? That's how how strong it is. Yes. It's it's no joke, alcohol. It's no joke at all, the strength of it. Yeah. It can all take your mind that much and your personality and your morals, everything. It alters everything. (laughs) Everything. It impacts every area of your life, I think, alcohol. And it impacts every part of yourself as well. And it just, it really stunts that inner growth, I think, that being able to work out who you really are, what you're really capable of, what you really like. And, you know, how how do you sit with loneliness? What do you do? what you know what other things do you do all of those things you just don't have those opportunities when you're drinking no. because yeah I was saying to you like I would drink in front of the telly on nights on my own and I think that I'd be winning because I was yeah. on my own like I can do this no one's gonna judge me 
I'm not going to judge myself, but I will tomorrow morning. I'll hate myself. But in this moment, I won't be judging myself. And it's like, you don't realize how limiting that thinking is. And when you used to think of your future, when you were drinking, you'd think about when I retire, you just see yourself sat there in a big house or whatever house, your family would all be perfect, glass of wine. That's it. I've won at life, but I've got this glass of wine. I'm relaxing with this. Whereas now, I don't know what my future holds, but I know it's going to be good. I know I'm not going to want to sit still. I'm going to be learning. I'm going to be doing something. I'm going to be active. There's no relaxing when I think of the future. Maybe. No, I I think think that's a (laughs) point. And I think that 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 um that visualization hopefully for you because it has for me will develop over time Mm -hmm. and you'll start so for me when I think and I was the same as you you know that the picture of having it all and living the dream and all that bullshit is that you know glass of rosé in retirement or whenever it's always the drink is in hand and it's a nice Mm -hmm. day but now for me living the dream would be uh, to be so active and busy in my 80s and 90s, traveling around the world, lifting 60 kilograms in the gym. Why not? Why Why do we have to have these limitations? So for me, I've really um, built a different future for myself yeah. mentally now. Yeah. And it's some, that, I'm and really I, focused on it now. And, yeah. and, and, and the reason I'm focused on it now is because I know that small habits that I create today will complement achieving some yeah. of those dreams yeah, when I'm done. 80, 90, whatever. So, but I don't have that. I think as a drinker, I probably, I mean, maybe I was a bit younger and you just don't think about that sort of stuff to you. I don't, I don't know. Getting into your 40s, I do think that shifts a little bit. You do start to think a bit more about later in life. Yeah. Um, but for me, I just I've got a real clear vision of who I want to be when I'm a lot older. Mm-hmm. And that vision really inspires me and it really yeah. excites me. It was as if we'd given up with on the future. We knew what the future was. It was yeah. like everything done when that as long as we've got money and things like that. But now it's like, no, I don't want to stop. I don't want to be sitting down. I don't want to yeah. do anything like that. Yeah. So, it's so funny, isn't it? It's funny how, mm-hmm. and I think so much of that has sprouted from just not not drinking, and and oh, all the, it's, been, it's been such a big catalyst for change. Um, and I love what you said earlier in the podcast. I think that could be a lot of other people's light bulb moment, which is, you know, when you look back on your life, when you're on your deathbed or whatever, in you know later in life hopefully. Um, when you look back, you've got the opportunity to live it this way, which mm-hmm. is under the illusion of fun. Okay, look, occasionally there might be those fun moments when you drink, but the cost is too big for mm-hmm. drinkers like us or people that are in that grey area zone or who are over-drinking or enthusiastically drinking, which means over-drinking <laughs> with right. a positive spin. But you've got that route and the health issues that may come with that route because eventually I, I do think it catches up with you in one way or another oh. or you've got this route which is okay it's a bit of short-term adjustment let's say and discomfort but in the grand scheme it's nothing I mean look at you 
a year and a half and it was same for me like to be honest I was exactly the same as you in terms of I was excited about sobriety I was excited about what it meant for my life and how I might be able to change and I, I really found a lot of comfort in that enthusiasm and that helped me ride through the more trickier days a year in or so I just knew I'd never drink again I just knew that I wouldn't go back mm. um and so in the grand scheme when you're talking about drinking from 13 14 years old you know early 90s to today it takes one year or six months or whatever it is even yeah. if it takes you two years it's nothing in the big picture is it it's like why would you not choose the route that gives you all this happiness joy growth getting to know yourself and all the other stuff that comes with it and everything's changed everything's changed in that short amount of time yeah yeah definitely sitting with emotions and every every time you'd have a drink but happy occasion sad occasion yeah all the occasions Bill comes to the door, I'll drink because it's slightly bigger than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. So you drink through each of these emotions. So every emotion is basically the same. Mm. So whereas now, when I'm happy, I feel happy. When I'm sad, I feel sad. And when something happens that I have to deal with, I'll deal with it. But it's that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. If you feel nervous about something, I used to feel nervous saying, have a drink if I was going on a date or something and have a, a drink and then turn up shit face. But now, if you're nervous, you, you feel nervous because that's an emotion, that's feeling that you're meant to feel. So you just go with it. And it's so insane to feel these for the first time, probably, since, yeah. since I was young. Yeah. And you can't still excited about sobriety. <laughs> I think I always will be. Yeah. But I think it's a huge achievement, to be mm. honest. And it's something to feel forever proud of. Really, yeah. really, really is. Um, I don't know if we were online when we were we recording, when we were talking about the sort of celebrating of milestones. And I was saying, yeah, because you were saying it, you know, you are yeah. getting the next big one to two years, but for, for me, it'll be five years. And you just all, I always feel like I want to celebrate it. You know, I yeah. want to celebrate those milestones. I'm really, really proud of stopping drinking. It's the proudest thing ever. Yeah. I know everybody says, oh, the proudest moment of your life is your children. Yeah. It's him. Yeah. Okay, but this is the, the thing I've done for myself. For myself, yeah. And no one can take it away from you either. Like, for you, you've given that gift to yourself. And that then has a ripple effect because it does impact your relationships and your your daughter you know your daughter will get the best the real the best real version of you so it yeah. does have that ripple effect but yeah I totally agree with you it's the biggest achievement of my life on a personal level yeah I've been yeah. drinking which yeah some people might think that's a bit mad but I think it's <laughs> it's amazing yeah it's something which you know I, I never thought I'd do never thought I'd do uh, no same yeah, same. And then you think about all this good that comes from it as well now. So this podcast, you being on this podcast, sharing your story, there'll be other people listening to this show that will take, you know, the wisdom that you're sharing or will just feel like they relate and they yeah. think, well, if he can do it, then maybe I can do it. It gives people hope that they can do it too. 
Yeah. That's what's so beautiful about it. Um, um, so what would be, if you had three tips for people listening, what would be your top three tips for staying sober? Tips. I wrote these down. <laughs> <laughs> but for staying so getting sober, I think, you know, you, you've, you've got to do it yourself, haven't you? That's, it's up to you. No one's going to come and save you unless you want them to. But for staying sober, I'd say get yourself an Instagram account if you haven't already. But you don't even have to post, do you? You can just yeah. follow people. Yeah. And what I did, I've, so when you go on there, you follow people who are similar days to you. That's what I did. Yeah. And they would like days in front or a month in front. And I'd see their milestones and I'd think, that'll be me in a few days, you know, in a few weeks. Brilliant. So I'd say just follow a lot of people, interact with people, just thumbs up and you'll get, when you start posting, getting a thumb up or a well done, it's amazing. It's like, yeah, it's that so supportive, going. isn't it? Yeah. It's just lovely. an emoji. <laughs> yeah. So I'd say, yeah, get, use, use Instagram for what it's really good for. And that is sober Instagram. No, that's yeah. one. Two, at the start, and I suppose carrying on, don't be afraid to say no to events, going out with friends. At the time, you might think, oh, mm. I don't want to go listen to yourself and just don't go because at the start as well, you're vulnerable. And and it's, you might be the first person in the group I was, and I know you were the first person in your, after your friends. Yes. It was so, yeah. And to go along as not yourself takes a lot of power and strength and some days like I said I only lasted half an hour so I'd say just don't be afraid to say no just yeah. it's all about your boundaries which I had no boundaries before now I'm all about boundaries yeah <laughs> that boundary um, maniac <laughs> it, and with, with guys I think guys don't know any boundaries when it comes to if you don't go to the pub why aren't you coming to the pub oh, you, you know <laughs> so yeah I'd say just say no and because in the long run so I said no quite a lot to people. And it's funny now that some of them people are going sober now as well. Are they? Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and the other bit of advice, just embrace the feeling. Embrace these new feelings that, you know, these emotions that are coming thick and fast. <laughs> yeah. Instead of thinking, oh, I can't deal with that, just try and embrace them. If you have to go to bed early because you're bored or something's playing on your mind or, you know, just do it. And if you can't sleep because something's on your mind, then it, I know it's hard, but you've just got to sit with it because it will pass. And then you'll have a shitty day. Don't get me I remember having one really bad day and I thought, the only thing I can do is go to bed. It was like five o'clock in the afternoon, one, one winter, and I went to bed. The next day, woke up, I was fine and yeah you know just embrace the feelings so yeah where can we find you and please talk about this yeah this group that oh that, right um, yeah so so i'm on instagram sober underscore bow b-o-w yeah um but i'm an admin in midland sober society which you started following yesterday i did yeah <laughs> i was saying that um 
that I I am a Midlands girl. You know, I was I was born in the Midlands. So you were saying that lots of people are from Leicester, and that's where I was born. I was born in Leicester. A so lot from Leicester. Yeah. They'll love it when they know you're originally from Leicester. We're <laughs> <laughs> an honorary member. Leicester um, massive. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, Midlands Sober Society. That was I found that when I started on Instagram. And the girl who, um, who came up with the idea for it, she, you know, she was newly sober. And she reached out to me and she was like, come along to these meets. And I was like, oh, meeting sober people. Ooh, I was a bit nervous. But I went to one and it just changed everything because now I'm an admin for the group and we have monthly meetups. We do live um, interviews every month. It's just really refreshing it was such a diverse group there's men and women and it's uh it's really really cool because because i didn't think that when i stopped drinking i thought that's it i can never be cool again yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you can be cool and you can when we all go out for a meet and say we all end up in a bar drinking ads we're the loudest in there you wouldn't yeah. know yeah. <laughs> you know yeah it's quite magical yeah. isn't it that feeling yeah. well so yeah, Midland Sober Society. Um, we've actually got a meet on Saturday in Birmingham. If you want to come, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Got about nine hundred things with kids to do, but uh, <laughs> thank you anyway. And that sounds amazing. And and actually, uh, if it funnels more people into that support network and yeah, grows that connection for people, then that's amazing um i think connection is really important and that's what you were talking about with sobergram and um, but even you know to be able to do it face to face is obviously much oh yeah much more special Definitely. isn't it yeah it's, it's so it's it's one thing having, having people on your phone looking at them and you don't but then when you actually meet them yeah you build the connection with them i've met people there who i know i'm going to be friends with forever and oh that's so nice it's just amazing and all different ages and different walks of life. But we're, we've all, we're, like I say, we're all in this little private yeah. group of yeah. sobriety and it's so cool. Little club. Love it. Oh, Chris, so nice to talk to you. Thanks again. And um, yeah, keep enjoying the journey and let me know what you think about Peter Crone. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thanks anyway. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to everyone else. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on instagram by sending a message to at sassy sober mum you can also find helpful tools and resources on my website sassy if you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love please like share and rate the podcast I really look forward to next time. See you then.